Hello and welcome to IHBC at COP26. Conserving buildings and places conserves our planet. Today we're joined by John Edwards. John is an all-round chartered construction and property professional and chartered environmentalist specializing in climate change and retrofit, property and construction-related research and business planning, quality management, and building conservation. He's worked at CADU, the Welsh government, as assistant director and at English Heritage, holds a professorship at the University of Wales, Trinity St. David, and authored many publications, reports, certification training schemes, and qualifications, including guidance and standards. He led on the development of BS7913, which is the guide to the conservation of historic buildings, authored the IHBC retrofit guidance, and co-authored BSI's past 2030, past 2035, and past 2038 standards for retrofitting buildings. He developed with CITB's National Construction College the first UK retrofit course that delivers a qualification in retrofit, a course which he still delivers today. John is currently a director of Edwards Hearts Consultants. Well, thank you for joining us today, John. It's a pleasure. Well, I'd like to start by asking you to tell us a bit about yourself, how you got started, and why you're passionate about sustainability and conservation. Yeah, well, um, when I left school, I, I worked on construction sites. I did an apprenticeship, so I worked in masonry, in, in brick and stone. And eventually, I moved out of that and got a job as a trainee building surveyor with, uh, with Cardiff Council. And uh, I was put into what we called an advisory section, which focused on the problems other people either couldn't or didn't have time to research properly. And I soon realized that, um, that this was an excellent grounding because it was about building pathology. And I also recall that some of the buildings we were looking at weren't that old. I mean, this was in 1981. And I was looking at buildings built in the 1970s, which had thermal improvements um, in terms of the way they constructed. They had uh, partially filled cavity walls. And some people may recall that in the 1970s, we started building buildings with brick and block walls, cavity in the middle, but also a 25 millimeter insulation board. And to be honest, the properties I saw didn't have a cavity at all because they're all filled up with mortar because nobody bothered taking care to actually not fill that cavity. And that told me that, um, that we don't build things very well in terms of buildings of all different ages and especially modern buildings. So I had a firm eye on, we've got problems in buildings, we just can't deal with the symptoms, we've got to deal with their cause. And that set me into, um, if you like, um, a, a huge interest in the problems of defects in buildings, which, to be perfectly honest, despite everything I've done since, has really, really put me in good stead for what I'm doing today. Eventually, I went into uh, general building spraying, project management, managing teams of people, even managing a mechanical electrical team for, for a couple of years, um, then moving out into uh, non-domestic buildings. And certainly uh, one of my major achievements, I would say, was uh, leading on the development and conservation work at Cardiff Castle. And then eventually moving into mainstream consultancy with quite a big practice, and then on to English heritage, which I will say is the best place I've ever worked. And I tell that to everybody because it is. And, um, and then on to CADU, which wasn't the best place to work, but it was interesting as assistant director. And then for the last seven and a half years, um, I'm a director of a, a small consultancy practice, uh, Edwards Hart, and we do lots of different things that, uh, that, that fully utilizes my 40 plus year experience in construction, property, 
and to some extent conservation as well. So that's me basically. And I know you advocate a risk-based approach when it comes to surveying historic and traditional buildings. Can you tell us a little bit about that approach and, and how you define those terms, historic and traditional? Well, very often we say fabric first, fabric first all the time. People who want to impress me say, I always take a fabric first approach, John. And I, and I say, well, you shouldn't. And they're quite shocked by that. Because when it comes to building a new building, then yes, you must take a fabric first approach. But when it comes to working on an existing building, especially an older traditional historic building, some of the fabric improvements can be very risky indeed. And we've got to really know what we're doing. And in order to approach this properly, we've got to know everything there is to know about that building. And we've got to be able to look at all the risks in everything that we are doing. And that means that the conclusion of all that means that that if the fabric improvements are too risky, or at least some of them are, then you're not going to do them. One, for example, is, uh, is solid wall insulation, which is probably the riskiest thing we can do. But if we take a risk-based approach, then we may not end up doing some of those riskier things, but doing other things instead, because they carry less risk. And whilst, um, you know, past 2035, which is, which is what we'll be talking about later, uh, states a fabric first approach, it also states within that document, that mainstream uh, document for retrofitting uh, UK dwellings, that a, a risk-based approach is more appropriate for older buildings. And when you look at past 2038, which has only just been published, and that's the the, stat, uh, the mainstream guidance for, for retrofitting non-domestic buildings, it says that you should be taking a risk-based approach. So that's what it's all about. And there's, there's tools you can use out there to help you do that, such as the STBA guidance wheel, which is a fantastic online tool, which is free to use. And that is a really, really good tool you can use to actually take you through that process. And going on, you mentioned the past documents a little bit. Can you talk through, you know, if you're going to do a retrofit, what are some of the different regulations out there that you must be aware of in sort of different situations and, and follow? Well, the problem is there are building regulations, uh, which are often misunderstood, I would say. And building regulations, certainly we're talking about Part L, 1B in England and Wales, and there are equivalents, of course, in, in Scotland and Northern Ireland and elsewhere. But certainly in, in England and Wales and in Scotland and Northern Ireland, there are exemptions for buildings which have special protection. And I'm not so much worried about those buildings because hopefully there's enough in the way of getting it wrong. But when it comes to the ordinary everyday traditional building, and let us bear in mind that the UK does have the oldest building stock in the Western world. And uh, we're very often talking about that data pre-1919. But in reality, we've got to look at the construction types. And that's what past 2035 has done. It's looked at the construction types and they've got a definition in there uh, in broadly states that any any building with a vapor permeable solid wall is classed as a traditional building. And if you look at, at statistics, that tells you over a third of our building stock in the UK is of traditional construction. It's a huge number. And it really does worry me that most people don't really know what the difference is between a modern building and a traditional building. Not in our sector, of course, but in Main Street. But the building regulations in England and Wales say that there is a special consideration you can apply for if you are made to carry out consequential improvements. Now, consequential improvements are work are works that you must undertake if you're doing certain other works in the building. For example, if you're newing, I don't know, over a certain percentage of, of external render, then the consequential improvement would normally be you're going to apply external wall insulation. Now, some of these things, some of these things are damaging 
to old buildings or they carry a great risk. And consequential improvements can only be imposed if they are feasible, and that includes technical feasibility. And that is all cited in the building regulations in England and Wales. Uh, not stated also in Scotland and Northern Ireland, but not so emphatically. But when I meet building control officers there, they 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 tell me it does the same thing. So I think I think the fact that uh, those regulations exist, they are there to be used, but maybe not enough people know how to use them, and maybe not enough people know about the risks we take when we're doing things like solid wall insulation. But you only have to look at um, other regulations, and this is where the dots are not really joined up anywhere, but another set of government regulations is the private sector regulations. And of all the works listed within those private sector regulations, it it's highlights that insulation of walls is probably the most um, risky thing we can do, because it does state if you think as a private landlord that, that uh, insulating the walls is not technically feasible, then there is provision in those regulations to, to appoint an expert um, who, will, who can assess the building. If that expert says that it's not feasible, then you may not have to do it. So regulations are there, um, but I would say they are not always joining up the dot. Now, what was the other part of the question, Michael? <laughs> I've forgotten about that bit. Yeah, no, I was just interested to know sort of when you, uh, if you, if you're going through a retrofit, uh, some of the regulations um, to follow. Well, unfortunately, I think, um, I think there is, I think one of the problems we've got is that there is some very good guidance out there, uh, certainly from the, the heritage bodies and um, Historic Environment Scotland and Historic England produce some very good guidance. But most people who are undertaking work to older traditional buildings, if they're not protected, probably won't even look at those sets of guidance. They probably look at other sets of guidance, such as um, the recently published um, document guide the best practice retrofit internal wall insulation, recently published by the by the Department for Business, Energy and Industry Strategy Beers, as we know it's called for England only, and that's a very good uh, guidance that come out. But there are things missing from it. Um, I've already stated that internal wall insulation is probably very risky and you've got to know what you're doing. And in that document it expresses all the different risks involved. But there are a few major things which are missing from it. First of all, the benefits are of not installing internal wall insulation. And that is retaining thermal mass, which is really, really good in the winter and really, really good in the summer. And it will become especially good in the summer. Because in the summer months, you know, masonry walling, you know, uh, masonry walls with a hard plaster on it or plaster, lime plaster on it will have a relatively cold surface. And if you get some air movement across those surfaces, it's going to help to cool the building down. That's not mentioned in that document. Um, and like I say how good it is in other parts, but another deficiency which people need to know about is that whilst it mentions building regulations quite frequently through that guidance, it fails to mention the special considerations that I've just mentioned just now, or the fact that the private sector regulations understand that that is a risky retrofit measure. So we're not giving people all the information. And what worries me is that, is that the heritage sector is not fully represented or not sufficiently represented, I would say, around the tables that actually produce a lot of this guidance. And you would think that a responsible body like a government would ensure that would be the case. But unfortunately, 
uh, that isn't the case. So you've got to be very, very wise when you're proposing such measures. And I, and I, and I, again, I point people towards the STBA guidance wheel. But the one thing I'll also say is that all this guidance I'm referring to talks about retrofit, and you can make many, many energy efficiency improvements to a building without even retrofitting a building. And that's something we need to focus on as well. Mainstream guidance doesn't focus on that other than saying that maintenance is a good thing. You need to make sure that your building is well maintained before you retrofit it. But as you know, Michael, um, if you look at the IHBC toolbox and you look at the retrofit guidance that I've produced, it's a bit of a Trojan horse really because it's not really retrofit guidance, it's energy improvement, improvement guidance and I based on BS7913. That states the approach that we should be taking which means that the first port of call, if we want to improve the energy performance of a building, isn't to retrofit it, but, it, but to cut it, put it into good and appropriate repair. Bearing in mind, as BS7913 states, damp building fabric can be over a third less energy efficient than building fabric with a normal amount of moisture within it. Um, you can look at research done by Glasgow Caledonian University on, on window research, which was published many years ago. And if you look at that very carefully, it will indicate that in the examples that they show, that just by repairing a window, we're improving its energy performance by 15%. We don't focus enough on those particular issues. We may do so in the heritage sector, but not enough, but it's seldom focused on in mainstream. And as I've said before, it's mainstream that are doing most of the work. Do you think there's an issue around some of the repairs, some of the use of traditional materials and having difficulty getting things like product guarantees, which lead into difficulty financing insurance, those types of things? I think there is. And I think recently I've been commenting upon in the consultation over ECO4, the energy company obligation scheme, which, which means that the energy suppliers are paying for the energy efficiency improvement works for uh, properties which are principally occupied by families in fuel poverty. Now, in order to um, work to ECO, then you've got to follow back past 2035. And past 2035, although uh, I, I may criticise a little bit, it takes us into a much better place than where we were before past 2035 because it indicates using the right sort of materials for the right sort of building, etc. But when ECO um, doesn't allow uh, for products which don't have a guarantee, because some of the manufacturers are quite small scale manufacturers, then it very often means that you're using inappropriate materials, such as inappropriate insulation materials, which um, which is very risky indeed. And, and in my uh, training courses I deliver, I highlight examples that I've seen myself in my own uh, practice at Edwards Heart, and also the research and um, and, and commentaries by others in that respect. But when, when we're talking about eco, there's other problems as well. Um, I mean, what they're trying to approve is fantastic. You know, you can't knock that, you know. Um, but, we, but retrofit isn't any good unless you do it properly. Because if you don't do it properly, uh, it's the surest way of taking risks. And when you look at eco four, I don't know what will come out of the wash, to be perfectly honest, but the targets for solid wall insulation, you know, huge numbers of properties are required solid wall insulation where the target should be 
to analyze buildings with solid walls and see if they really do need solid wall insulation. That's what the target should be. And, and these days, uh, you can use uh, pieces of kit, which, which uh, only cost about two and a half grand to provide you with an indication of the, of the real performance of the solid wall you know, in undertaking an in-situ U-value test, which can give you a fair degree uh, accuracy. That's the target, to find out exactly what, what the performance is, and then properly assess the dwelling before you decide what measures you are going to undertake. Because people who say to me, we only do deep retrofits, I, I really do worry about that, that sort of approach, because nobody can possibly know what level of retrofit you can safely impose on a building until you have properly assessed that building. And organizations that have got thousands of properties and they know the types of dwellings they've got, fair enough, they can say that. But for anybody just doing an individual building, you know, you've got to know what the safe approach is. Uh, buildings can only be retrofitted up to a certain level. And you mentioned the, the sort of quality issues there. I mean, we've had an issue with performance gap with retrofits as well, where you know, the actual outcomes are, are much inferior to sort of planned energy efficiency improvements. You know, how do you go about thinking about quality and, you know, why is it so important or how do we ensure that it's it's there? Well, the performance gap is, is there for a number of different reasons and especially so where all the buildings are concerned. We, we all know from the research undertaken by many organizations and, and certainly the SPAV many years ago, did a series of uh, in-situ U-value tests whereby they they tested on-site the U-values of walls in buildings, older buildings, and, and then they also worked out um, what would be, uh, you know, what does, uh, it was build desk software where they used, our calculated method would, would indicate what the U-value is, and they found the discrepancy was huge. I remember seeing in one piece of research on nearly four out of five occasions, the U-values of walls were, were better than any software calculated method would tell us. Now, if you are, and this is a sort of um, data that goes into the likes of RD, SAP, et cetera, into, uh, into that sort of um, you know, software that generates uh, EPCs and generates the recommendations for energy efficiency improvement works and also generates the sort of improvement they're going to make. But if that software has underestimated the current energy performance of a building, then when it works out the percentage of improvement that's going to be made, then obviously it will be overestimating the improvement that's going to be made, thereby indicating a major reason why there is that performance gap between what performance we thought we were going to get and what performance we actually get. So we need to take a more, uh, a more sophisticated approach to understanding all buildings, but especially older buildings. And when I think of... Um, well, okay, that's at the very beginning of the process. Let's now go down to the very end of the process at the installation stage. If retrofit isn't installed to proper quality standards, then there is a risk that it will not be installed properly. Okay, so we need to make a concerted effort to make sure that retrofit measures, especially insulation, is installed properly. Otherwise, there will be unintended consequences. There will be thermal bridging issues. There will be thermal bypass issues and the like. And it means that not only will the buildings not be performing as well as we thought they might, but also uh, we risk problems in buildings as well. Now, in the UK construction industry, uh, I'm not being controversial here, 
uh, because, well, maybe I am, but I, I've been controversial on a few occasions when I state this. We take a very unsophisticated approach to the management or so-called management of construction in the construction of new buildings. And we know with the problems of high-rise dwellings and Scottish school problems a few years ago in 20, 2017, I think it was, or 2016, then we know there is a problem in the construction industry. And we know, we can see research has undertaken to show that we got the same sort of problems and maybe even greater problems with quality where retrofit is concerned. Paris 2035, with Paris 2030, does make a genuine attempt to improve the situation. But we have to bear in mind when all these different BSI documents are produced, uh, they have to be produced through consensus. So if I want a Rolls-Royce approach to quality management and other people only want, um, I don't know, uh, what sort of car is a lower status than that? You can imagine it yourself. Um, then, you know, normally we might meet somewhere in the middle or we're not going to get the quality control that we really wish for. So past 2030, past 2035, take an sophisticated approach. And a sophisticated approach would be to work out the risks involved with different types of work to a building, different types of retrofit measures, and work out which are the riskier ones in terms of the work not being implemented properly in accordance with the design. And then to work out what is the impact of those risks. And I'll go back to internal wall insulation again. If you install internal wall insulation onto a building that's not a listed building, not in a conservation area, then many years ago would probably have had the internal line plaster removed and there you will see a cement render and a gypsum skim in place. So if you're going to install internal wall insulation, which would have to be of a vapor uh, permeable kind, you're going to have to remove that cement render and that gypsum skim because otherwise <laughs> the vapor permeable, you know, you will have a wall that's relatively vapor impermeable, which is, which is what we don't want. And then the next stage would be, you would skim these walls in line so you've got a flat surface, then you would um, then you you'd have to make sure that the, the, the plaster is cured properly over several weeks. Then you'd fix the insulation to the to the wall properly, whether it's adhesive, whether it's mechanical fixings. You have to arrive at the right amount of adhesive, the right amount of mechanical fixings. Then you'll uh, prepare, then you'll then you'll uh, prepare your boards, you you'll line plaster, you put your strengthening scrim or netting, and then you'll finish the job off. At each and every single one of those stages, somebody could forget to do something. They could, couldn't they? They could forget to do something. But if you go along after the work is completed, I would say most people, well, I'd say everybody, they would not know whether all that work has been done properly. And if it hasn't done properly, we're taking a risk. Now, a more sophisticated approach would be to implement uh, what I would call an inspection and test plan, whereby the installer, the contractor, breaks down the, if you like, the implementation process into stages and works out what the work supervisor must do at certain stages to make sure that things are done properly. And also to record the fact that it has been done properly. Now, some conservation work is, is implemented in that way. I remember visiting support McAlpine site at the House of Westminster on the Queen Elizabeth Tower. Uh, and I was most impressed by the approach they took. By doing that sort of thing, they didn't show me exactly what they're doing, but what they described me, it was that sort of thing. And if we and if we want, if we were more sophisticated and and spent a bit more effort in controlling quality in that way, then I would say we are taking less risk and we got a sure chance of making sure that work is implemented properly. And I suppose some people might say, well, that's very bureaucratic, John, and they've actually said it to me. 
yeah, it would be for some things, but I'm not talking about every single item of work. I'm talking about the items of work whereby there's going to be a pretty high risk that it's not being implemented properly. And in those instances, we should be taking a more time-consuming, a more concerted effort, a more sophisticated approach, because at the end of the day, what are the implications of this not being done properly? Bearing in mind climate change targets, can we afford to retrofit dwellings twice? No, we can't. We have to implement that retrofit once, so we need to make sure it's done properly. And so with everything, I've only described the beginning and the end of this process, but we need to have a concerted effort to make sure we're minimizing the risk of that performance gap at every stage. I know you deliver courses on these topics, John, and, and talk in more detail about these things. What are the particular skills that we're lacking in order to be able to effectively do some of these things you're talking about and get to these higher quality levels? Well, I think, um, you know, it depends what we mean by quality, really, isn't it? You know, I've, I've, I've highlighted one item of quality, which is the implementation process. But we also have to think about the overall concept at the beginning. You know, what sort of quality do we want? So the, the person holding the money will, will largely determine how much money we're going to spend. Uh, so that determines quality. How much effort we make into properly understanding significance and how much effort we make in measuring the impact on significance, that determines quality. How much effort and how much competence competence goes into assessing the building for retrofit. You know, what sort of person is doing the condition survey? Is it a qualified surveyor that's conservation accredited or certified? Or is it somebody who's just done a few days of training? You know, all those things will determine quality and so will the choice of specification and other, and other things and the like. That also determines quality. So in respect of the significance, um, I'm afraid that um, Pass 2035, for example, uh, can permit people who are uh, very genuine people, want to do the right sort of job as retrofit assessors, but where that building doesn't have any special protection, you know, they haven't had much training. In fact, they do not have to do any specific training on older buildings. I deliver a course which is a requirement of PAS 2035 and it's it's only two days plus pre-course work and I would say after that course if nobody's got if anybody attending that course didn't have any idea about what this was all about beforehand they will have some idea what it's all about and anybody working to PAS 2035 that works on protected buildings have to do that course and then they'll have some idea what it's all about but if they are only working on unprotected traditional buildings, they still got to do a sort of significance analysis and a heritage impact assessment, but they would have had no training on that whatsoever. So there's no real, I mean, I know the Retford Standards Framework, BSI Retford Standards Framework talks about um, protecting and uh, enhancing architectural heritage. I think that's the term they use, but unless you have competent people dealing with such issues, I can't see how we can guarantee that will happen. In fact, I think we, we are, you know, we're at grave risk of it not happening. But I, what I'm saying is that I don't, I, in one sense, I listen to people who say, well, we've got to work with what the sector can provide. The retrofit sector doesn't have a great quantity of knowledge and skills where all the buildings are concerned, and we'll have to slowly upskill them, slowly upgrade them. But I think, um, I don't think we're going fast enough I don't think we're going hard enough. But when I sit around that BSI table, I can't persuade enough other people around that table uh, to listen to me. 
Um, you know, other people are saying the same. The representatives from Historic England, Historic Environment Scotland, and CADU, they're all saying the same. But I'm afraid we've got to bring other people with us. And, and the reason why we are where we are is that we've had limited success in bringing people with us. All right, well, thank you very much for joining us today, John. I'd like to wrap up by asking you, in your estimation, what does the future look like, or what should it look like in terms of sustainability and conservation of the built environment? Well, I think, um, I think we need to ensure that the guidance I've been referring to doesn't just focus on retrofit. There needs to be an acknowledgement, maintenance and repair. Right? Uh, think about Monument Watch in, um, exactly that way, in, in the Netherlands. Um, what, a great, what a great concept. To, to have, a, have a process and a scheme, buildings in good repair, so they last as long as possible, you know, that to, do not need major repair that will take energy and carbon to rectify. So that's the sort of approach we should be taking. And at the moment, in terms of mainstream, every time I bring that sort of thing up, the, the answer I get is, is always the same. That's out of scope, uh, and it shouldn't be. And that's the one thing I worry about. But I would also say this, that the Welsh Government have got this concept optimised retrofit. And um, I'm a partner in, in one of the uh, uh, trial schemes. There's six of them all together, I believe. Optimization means you're making the most of what you've got. So optimised retrofit has been looking at the fact that by 2050, the grid would have been totally decarbonised. A great, great, you know, if, if we have made any progress in the UK in terms of decarbonisation, it's in the generation of electricity. And if that continues, then by 2050 or even before, we will not be producing any carbon in the generation of electricity. So the optimised retrofit approach figures that into it together with the uh, intelligent energy management systems in buildings, and therefore, hopefully, we'll stay away from some of the risky things that we are attempting to do to buildings, such as solid wall insulation. Now, if we do that properly, and we do that everywhere, then the future may not be so bad. But the way we're going at the moment, I think we're taking a few risks, and I, do, I really do worry that not just me, but people like me and people who work in heritage bodies are just not listened to. We're not just take, we're not taken seriously enough. We are taken seriously by some people, of course we are. And the fact we have got a seat around, you know, I'm, I'm on the BSI Redfit Standards Task Group and I've got a seat around, you know, developing these, these standards. But I'm one of a voice of about 50 odd people or even more. And there's relatively few of us who have the same voice as me. But when you consider a third of our building stock is traditionally built, well, people might disagree, but I would say, shouldn't we have a bigger representation? And we shouldn't our voice be louder considering that we are the experts in older buildings? I don't know whether that gives a particularly good answer to the future. I, I am, by nature, an optimistic person, but um, where climate change is concerned, I'm not so optimistic.